Hey, I think we're ready to get going. Good morning, everybody. Uh, again, my name is Sean, one of the pastors here on the team, and it is great to have you here. Now, this is what I'm wondering. Anybody here, um, you on social media? Anybody uh, at all? Uh, anybody text before? Anything like that? Two people? All right. This is exciting crowd already this morning to be working with. Um, but it is what it is. Social media. So in social media, and especially in communications these days, um, you're noticing a lot of things called like abbreviations and acronyms. Th these are things that people are placing into the communication to explain something to you. But have you ever kind of saw one of those abbreviations and thought, I have no idea what this person is saying to me right now? I mean, I have, and I think you have as well, but I wanted to take a look at some of the abbreviations that are very popular, actually, in, in this communication type these days. And so I'm going to put some things onto the screen. You're going to see if you know them, and we'll kind of play a game together. The first one here is DM or LOL. Do you, you understand what these uh, things are right here? Okay, so DM is direct message. Uh, the LOL is... Come on, do it, though. Like, it's, it's just... <laughs> you guys, are, you're warming up. Okay, uh, the next one, POTD. Anybody uh, familiar with the, the good old POTD? In fact, uh, if, you, if you're unaware of it, why don't you pull out your phone right now, okay, because this is what we do in this culture. Pull out the phone and, uh, and get the camera ready. And, and this means photo of the day. So go ahead, take a picture of somebody beside you and hashtag it at Colwood Church on your social media handles and boom, there you go, photo of the day. Everybody does it. In fact, I think my daughter takes 200 pictures of herself a day and sends it to her friends. Like It's just what she's doing. So you've got all of these things. Probably one of my favorite appreciations abbreviations that I am experiencing these days is ELI5. And this is what it means. Explain like I'm five. <laughs> Which makes a lot of sense with some of the things that we are seeing everywhere around us. And of course, this is probably one of the more famous ones these days, but MTFBWY meaning may the force be with you. Star Trek. It's beautiful. So, uh, <laughs> I did that for somebody today, but that's okay. He's already, he's already out, so I love it. T TLDR. Too long, didn't read. I mean, we do this. Uh, this one, though, I, I'm having a tough time wrapping my, my head around, but um, HMB. Um, and again, it means hit me back. Now, I don't think that this is a physical thing that you're to do to your neighbor, but this is a type of communication of like, yeah, send me a message. Or anyway, hit me back. Now, here's another one. Uh, gives FM radio, show me your muscle. Come on, say it with me. Gives FM radio, show me your muscle. Let's make it even more fun. Gives FM radio, say it with me. Show me your, now make your muscles. I mean, it just it makes it a little bit more memorable. The funny thing is, is like this gives FM radio, show me your muscle, is actually the Ten Commandments. Take a look at it. I was taught this thing a really long time ago, and I've never forgotten the Ten Commandments. In fact, you'll look at that right now, and whenever I see gives FM radio, show me your muscle, I could recite to you the Ten Commandments. I know that the G is God's, I is, is no idols, take the Lord's name in vain, it's the Sabbath, it's the honor your father and mother, then there's murder, adultery, lying, stealing, and envy. I mean, there you've got gives FM radio, show me your muscle. It's interesting because these things that we are seeing in social media and something like this, they ultimately are this thing called substitutes. I mean, they're there to replace something that is trying to be communicated in culture through your texting communications, but they're substitutes. 
And we know that with these substitutes that we've just shown on the screen, some of you knew some of them, but a lot of you were like, what in the world are you trying to communicate to me? And so we see that when we use substitutes, they are incomplete, they are insufficient. Oftentimes, they're going to bring confusion to you and I, and I am no one that is void of that myself. Many times I'm confused, especially when substitutions come into play. So this morning, I want to take a look at this idea of substitution. And in our scripture, out of Exodus chapter 19 and 20, we've jumped into a brand new series called Relationship Over Rule. And here I want us to build a case for the substitutions that we have placed into our lives, which again, ultimately, many times can leave us confused and in insufficiency. So let's take a look at this. Exodus chapter 19, verse 3, it says, Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. Now the Lord called to him from the mountain, and he said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings, and I brought you to myself. Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. And this is the message, Moses, that you're going to give to the people of Israel. And then in verse 4, God himself communicating to Israel says this, you must not make for yourself an idol. Somebody say, substitute. Of any kind or of an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea, you must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But, somebody say but. But I will lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Let's pray as we've read the word of the Lord together today. So Father, thank you that we have the opportunity today to be here together to worship you. And as our text has talked to us even about worship, I pray that you will teach me and teach us what you are saying in your word. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, to again speak to us specifically, individually, so that we may be more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. I give you thanks for this time, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So today, we're going to speak from the subject of of no substitutes is kind of what our text is all about. So if you're brand new to us today and you didn't have an opportunity, we started a brand new series last week called Relationship Over Rule. Notice it doesn't say rule over relationship, which is what many believers and people think, that God is all about these rules rather than the relationship. But here in this, in this opportunity that we've read, he kind of flips the script and he reminds us really what this is all about. This is about relationship over rule. In fact, God talks to us, even before the rules are given of the Ten Commandments that we are so familiar with, he talks to us about the covenant, the relationship, and he's reminding everybody in this text today. In fact, what I proposed last week, and I'm going to do it again today, is that what we read here is a love letter from God to you, 
to me. And this love letter is communicating these things, that he chose you first, that God loved you even before you've loved him or when you've walked away from him, he still continued to love you. Last week we talked about how he gave us the DTR. He defined the relationship and he's basically saying that I'm going to do this in your life and when you love me back the same way, it's gonna define the relationship and a world will know what this is all about. So that this is not about rules, but this is about boundaries. This is about boundaries that will bring you and I, when we pay attention to them, a freedom in our lives. Now, many people, they look at these things that come from the Word of God, and they're looking at them as rules, and they're like, that put me in prison. It's not giving me freedom, but God reminds us today. These things are here so that freedom can be expressed and known in your life. And so last week, uh, we looked at the first command. And God basically said this, do not put anything else in front of me. Don't put any other gods. And when I did that last week in speaking this out, I gave four questions for you to process and to ponder. I'm gonna put those on the screen again today, but I'm asking you to consider these four things as we go through this um, discussion this morning. What does this commandment teach me about God? What does this command teach me about Jesus Christ? Number three, what does it teach me about the Christian, so you, and what are you supposed to do now with what we're saying? And what does this command teach me about the church in general? So now we approach the second boundary. We approach the second thing that God has said, and he basically tells us right here what it is. You are to have no idols. You are to have no substitutes. And the only thing that I could think about is this. Houston or Colwood Church, we got a problem. <laughs> because I think that this is the level playing field for all of us here today. You and I, you know what we're really good at? Idols. We're really good at substitutes. We're allowing things to come into our lives that replace and take the thing of God. So idolatry is the worship of idols or excessive devotion to or reverence for some person or thing. An idol is anything that substitutes the one true God. Idols diminish Jesus in our lives. In fact, I would propose that in our culture today, in our world, idolatry, not atheism, idolatry is the greatest challenge of true religion in every single generation. I think that this is something that we struggle with. It is something that has been around since the beginning of time, or else God would not have said to Israel then, hey, no idols, no substitutes. But this is what I know about God. God is not going to share his worship. He is not going to share his praise. He's not going to share his service, and he will not share his glory with anybody else. Why? Because God is exclusive. And in that exclusivity, he includes you and I to be devoted the same way towards him. So the obvious question that we have in front of us here today is, what are the idols in your life? Perhaps, what are the substitutes that you have placed in that take the place of God? Has anybody here ever been to Butcher Gardens before? Anybody? A beautiful garden. If you've not been to Butcher Gardens here in our city, is brilliant. No, but you get onto this path and as you're walking through these beautiful gardens, you'll notice this one thing. You'll notice that there are fences or boundaries all around. And what it is doing, it is 
kind of communicating to you, and I don't want you to go off course now. And, and I know that a lot of us, when we see boundaries or fences, we're like, oh, that's meant to be climbed over, uh, to go into it. Now, I dare you to try that at Butcher Garden, see what happens to you, right? Uh, what happens. But the idea of the boundary and the fence is that it's protecting the integrity of the garden. I mean, if people were to kind of just do their own thing, damage would be brought to this beautiful garden. And not only that, it wouldn't be there available for the next person who's coming tomorrow and paying a lot of good money to walk and smell some flowers, right? And the garden metaphor is you, and it's me. And God has looked at your life as a beautiful garden, and he has placed certain boundaries and fences around things of our lives together so that it protects the integrity of our heart so much so that then it will go to help future generations understand and know the beauty, the integrity of God himself. And so today what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the gardens of our heart. We're gonna look at who we are as people and what is God saying to us because what God is looking for us today here as his people is he's looking for your integrity. He's looking for you to see something powerful in him through you. Now, to do that, we're going to look at these three short verses, but they are jam-packed with beauty when we pay attention to this idea of having no substitutes. And so I'm going to give you four words, and then we're going to kick you out, and then you're going to go on your day. But the first thing that I see in this text is this word image. And in fact, the word tells us that we are to have no images. Now, Israel was inundated with these images everywhere. They were inundated with idols. The nations that surrounded them made these idols. They sold these idols. It was, it was commerce. There was a lot of finance behind it. It was a big deal in that day. Israel could not escape this idea that there were idols all around them. It was pronounced in their culture. But in that day, as well as in our own, we would see this, is that worship was always closely tied to images. And this is interesting today because we live in a culture right now that is very image stimulating, right? Everywhere we look, we get to see many different things, but worship was always established and identified with this idea of imagery. But our text today is really intriguing because this text instructs us that we are never to make any idols of false worship nor are we to create any image for worship purposes in heaven, on earth, or the sea. And I don't think that we can move on from this point too fast. I think we have to ponder what it is saying. Because I know where some of our thinking begins to go at this stage. I'm not allowed to create an image of heaven. And yet, have you ever seen an image of God before? depicted by somebody else. And there are people who will take this text and they will literally say that if you even create an artistic picture of God, you are creating a false image. Because God said, I don't want you to make any image. But the catch here that we have to understand is that it's about worship. So if you have a false idol in your life that you are worshiping, if you've got an image over here that you are worshiping, it is a substitute for what God is communicating to us in this text. Now, when we look at that, we are asking the question, so is God opposed to artwork? Well, we know that the answer is no. 
because shortly in the pages that follow these 10 commands and these 10 pronouncements, we see the, the structure of the tabernacle being built, and it is full of beauty and art. In fact, there are cherubim and seraphim that are wrapped on the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, God is not opposed to that. What he is saying is you are not to have anything in front of me that demands your worship. That's what he's getting to when he's talking to us about this text today. And it's intriguing because just within a 40-day period when God pronounces, have no idols, have no substitutes, Moses is up on the mountain with God and down in the camp there's this other dude's name and he is Aaron. And Aaron decides that Moses is taking too long with God, something must have gone wrong and so he calls to all the people, give me your jewelry and he throws it into the fire and out pops this golden calf apparently. And he basically says to Israel, Israel, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. We are going to worship him. Now, Aaron was not trying to deviate away from Yahweh. He had a relationship there, but what he was doing is he was making an image, which God just prohibited moments ago, and said, don't do it. And Aaron got in a lot of trouble for this one moment. And this is why this is important, because Aaron was basically trying to attempt to visually represent God to the people. What Israel wanted was a God like the nations around them, a God that they could see, a God that they could touch, a God that they could have control over. And I wonder actually today how much that is like you and I. I haven't seen God, so I got to put my trust and my hope in something else. I got to be able to touch it, to maybe see, to be in control over. I don't know if we're a lot different than what I see in the nation of Israel back in the day. In Psalm chapter 115, a beautiful text is written about these idols that God illustrates to us out of Exodus 19. It says this, it says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory. It's kind of like the song we sang this morning, you are worthy of it all. Why let the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens and he does as he wishes. Their idols are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, noses cannot smell, hands but cannot feel, and feet that cannot walk, and throats but cannot make a sound. And those who make idols are just like them, as are all who trust in them. You see, we've got an epidemic that has happened through all generations. And this idea of idolatry, this idea of substitutes, and God says they're all worthless. And when we begin to place ourselves into those idols or those images, we are placing our trust in them rather than who he is. Tim Keller says this about this command. The first commandment says you mustn't worship other gods than the true God. But the second commandment is actually saying you mustn't worship the true God and imagine him to be what you prefer him to be. But you must worship him as he reveals himself to be. And this is interesting because I think many of us, we are so drawn to idolatry because that's the God we want to worship. I prefer that to be here in my life. And a lot like Aaron, we make the mistakes of giving our allegiances to things that are substitutions for the real deal. And yet God reveals who he is and how he wants to be worshipped and served as we look at this text today. He starts with images because images distort God. 
representation distorts God. And believe this or not, but our imaginations can distort God. We need to know what God is saying about who he is and not make it any different than that. The tragedy of idolatry, the tragedy of images is this. Did you know that the only thing God allowed to be made in his image was? You. You're the image. You are the representation of God. He doesn't need your other stuff. He doesn't want you to turn to other things or persons. He is saying that you and I get to be the representation of who he is today. So may we walk forward in this substitute conversation of understanding that images are very, very dangerous for our lives. The second thing that we see here in this text is the word worship. And this love letter that we are reading here today simply reminds us that this whole entire thing called life boils down to this thing called worth or worship. And in fact, if idols are substitutes, which they are, what you are worshiping becomes that substitute. I don't know if you knew this, but the word worship has an equivalent of worth-ship. And what we are seeing today is that that which we are putting our worth into becomes our worship. That's why this substitutes conversation is important for us. Because if there is something that is substituting your worship today, it's an idol. And God does not want that for our lives today. John Piper says this, that the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It is not the X-rated video, but the prime time dribble of triviality we drink in every night. For all the ill that Satan can do, when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his love, it is a piece of land, a yoke of oxen, and a wife. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. Let me ask you today, where is your appetite? And I'm not talking about McDonald's or Burger King after this service. Where is your appetite today? And are we allowing our allegiance and our attention, our worship, to be given to things or, per, or people that are not set on who he is? Jesus, in John chapter 4, verses 24, said this about God. He said, God is a spirit. How do you create or draw or imagine spirit? Like how, do you, how, do you, how do you draw that out? And it says that God is a spirit. He's not an image. He's a spirit. And it says that those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is kind of coming back to us today and says, listen, your substitutes, they are false. They are not right. This is about worship. And if you are worshiping them, it means you're not worshiping me. And I want you as my people to return back to me, to worship me in spirit and in truth. The third thing I see in this text is the word jealous. 
And I know that as humans, we really struggle with the statement from God because we observe it through our own human eyes. Like, you're, you're kidding me, Sean? I'm not allowed to be jealous of somebody else, but God suddenly is now allowed to be jealous of something in me? Like, what gives here? And again, I think we have to understand, like, through our human eyes, this is a little bit different. So jealousy for you and I, has anybody here ever been jealous before? Yeah, like confession is good for the soul. All right, five people, this is great. I mean, you're on a good path, but you know, jealousy, this whole idea of jealousy is something we have all struggled with at some point, but you want to know what jealousy is. Jealousy is saying, I want something from you that you've got. But when it comes to God and his jealousy, he's not trying to take anything from you. He's got it all anyway, and he gave it to you. What he is saying, he's jealous for you. There's a big difference here. Humans, we are in the from section and God is in the for section. What is taking place here is God has seen what is happening in his people and he says because of our actions, because of the substitutes that we have brought in, he is going to be jealous for us. See again that this letter that we are reading here is a love letter. He is trying to communicate to us again. I want to be exclusive in this relationship with you, and I want you to do the same to me. This is not about making this a bad day for you because you can't go and do stuff. This is about him saying, I want your affection and alone. God is showing us that he will not tolerate affection to any other gods. It shows us in this text today. In fact, it would be equivalent to say that, that God is, is a husband and he's married to us as the church, but the wife took off and decided to be with another man. That's the picture here. So God is pretty serious about this covenantal relationship that he wants for us. Author Redpath said that God's jealousy is love in action. He refuses to share the human heart with any rival not because he is selfish and wants us all for himself, but because he knows that upon that loyalty to him depends our very moral life. God is not jealous of us. He is jealous for us. God wants you exclusively, and he don't like to share you with other things or people. I want you to see that this is an expression of love. Not because he demands something from you. He wants you for who you are. Now, whatever your idol may be, no matter what your substitute may feel like, I think God would remind you that it is temporary. It is a substitute. It's going to fail. And nothing beats the real thing. God. Now, the last thing that I see in this text is something that we cannot ignore. It's the word sin. Somebody say sin. I know, it just feels weird even saying it, doesn't it? Sin. The sin words, actually, that we've read in our text today appear right after the golden calf story again of that idol. And in Exodus 34, God speaks one more time to the Israelites because he's getting pretty ticked off. And he's like, I just told you no substitutes. Now here's a golden calf. What's the deal, people? And again, like I look at that and I think, oh man, that's our story, isn't it? <laughs> God tells you to do one thing and you're like, okay, I'll do it for a bit. And then you forget. Anybody ever experienced that before in your life? Because I do quite a bit. This is what God says. He says, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and I'm filled with unfailing love. 
and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the sins of the parents. And I will lay the sins of the parents upon the children and the grandchildren. The entire family is affected. And even children in the third and fourth generations. I mean, God himself, twice in 40-day period, decides to communicate something very valuable. And when we see this text, I'll be honest with you, many of us struggle. Like seriously, why in the world would God want to allow a curse upon our children and then their babies and their babies and their babies? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? But this is what he says in this text to us today. I mean, God, is that really fair that you would allow something like that to happen? But all God is really communicating to Israel and to you and I today is that our sin, our idols, our substitutes, if we don't deal with this stuff, it's going to be passed along to other generations. Remember I told you earlier that idolatry, not atheism, is the greatest challenge in this world. Why? Because we all struggle with idolatry. We all have substitutes that we've allowed to come in and take our attention away from the one who is worthy of it all. But here, all God is communicating to us is this, is that your sin, you can pass that along to other generations, or you could do this thing called repent. You could take that sin, you acknowledge it, you give it to Jesus, and watch what happens with it. Because if you don't, this will affect other people around you. There's... There's no doubt about that. But this challenge that we see with this topic of sin, it all comes down upon confession. It comes down to confess and say, hey God, like I've placed substitutes in my life here. I'm not worshiping you, I'm worshiping him or her. Or I'm worshiping that thing. And God is saying, I need you to understand in this relationship, your confession is vital. See, I need you to love me the way I love you. I've not ever taken once my eyes off you. I'm here for you. I'm in your corner. Now, I want you to do the same for me. And yet, I know many of us, we've wandered from this relationship. We are that wife who goes to the other man or the husband that goes to another person too. There is this game that um, you, maybe you have played. It was called Taboo. Has anybody ever played Taboo? There's this little button though, and you press the button when somebody makes a mistake. So I kind of wanted to get one of those, but I, I didn't have it. But see, what I wonder, because it's such an irritating little button, actually, if you've ever played the game. But I wonder sometimes if, if um, you and I like the Taboo button, and we want to edit God. So, Sean, I need you to have no subs. God, no. I kind of really like doing this thing over here. I like that person. Well, Sean, I want you, God, seriously, I prefer you to stay in your corner. Let me go do my own thing. So, God, I wonder, do you have an edit button when it comes to God? Are you ignoring the things that he is asking of you? The integrity of your heart the fences around the garden of your life? Have you tried to edit God more by doing what you want to do rather than what he has revealed and said to us? 
Moments ago, I just talked about the fact that we are to be image bearers of God, and yet in Exodus chapter 34, he gives us his character. Love, compassion, faithfulness and mercy, slow to anger, giving love to whoever needs it. Are these the things that mark us, or have we edited God to the way we want him to be? And in that, he says, okay, I see your substitute. I see what you're doing. Now, somebody say, but. Now, some of us here today, we're like, the curse is going to go on to third and fourth generation. Yet in our text, it says, but. I am in unfailing love. And he goes on to say that upon the confession of our sins, that he says that his love will then be passed towards thousands of generations. This is not a trick question, but three or four generations or a thousand generations? Which one's greater? And we focus so much about this curse thing because it's, it's important. God is really serious about our sin. He's really serious about our substitutes. He's really serious about our idols. But what he says to us is that when we come and confess that to him and we repent of our ways, he says, then I will unlavish my love upon you for a thousand generations. You want to talk about a love letter? That's good. There it is right there. And the beauty about this text right here, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but that statement that God says, for those who love me and obey my commands is a direct picture to Jesus Christ. Because the night before Jesus was to go to a cross, he looked at his disciples and this is what he said. If you love me, you will obey my commands. God is quoting his own son before he's even on the earth physically. You want to see Jesus in the text? There it is. And Jesus says to you and I, if you love me, if you are in relationship with me, it means that you must obey my commands. Which means this, Callwood Church, put your idols down. Take your substitutes and lay them at the feet of Jesus and repent for the sins. Will you stand with me this morning? Perhaps just close your eyes for a moment. Let me ask you a question. What's the substitute? But let Jesus speak to you right now. I'll be quiet. You listen. What's the substitute? What's the idol? Jesus says, no more images. I want you to worship me exclusively because I'm jealous for you. But it comes down to taking our sin and calling it for what it is and saying, God, this is what I need. He wants to be the one who is worthy of it all. No rivals, no competition. So whatever that idol may be lifted to him, let it stand against his holiness. Oh.
saints and angels they bow before your throne throw down the idols today all the elders cast the crowns before the Lamb of God and sing you are worthy of it all You are worthy of it all. It's always a matter of worship today. Who gets it? For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. And all the saints and angels bow before your throne all the elders cast the crowns before the Lamb of God and sing you are worthy of it all you are worthy of it all From you are all things, to you are all things, you deserve the glory. Day and night, night and day. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Come on, let your incense rise in this place today. Your worship matters right now. So offer it to Him for who He is. He is worthy today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Night and day, let incense arise. Night and day, let incense arise. close in this place. Here's the question today. Are there substitutes? Are there idols perhaps in your life? So with all eyes closed, if that's you, I'd like the opportunity to pray for you actually as you head into your week. But if you're saying, Sean, I need you to pray for me, will you raise your hand on that today? Like you've you're got some stuff. And listen, this is the best part. It's because it matters when you confess this to him. And then of course it's the turning. But this is huge for the love of God to be evidenced further in your life. So keep those hands raised before him. Father, you see our hands. And you know that we struggle as human race with substitutes. Father, forgive us. And I pray today that we would be reminded 
that even though we have brought substitutes to the picture, that you love me and that you still love me and you see me today and you've seen the struggle. But I pray today that for my friends, they will understand and know that you welcome them back today because you chose us. And I pray that we would repent of these sins, of these idols and these substitutes, but today that we would be met with the arms of grace. And I pray today that you would whisper into our minds as we walk into this week, if you love me, obey my commands. And because of that, have no substitutes. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for your compassion, your mercy. Thank you that you are slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And I thank you that you forgive our iniquity, rebellion, and sin, because that's who you are. And so for my friends today, I pray that you will allow us to lay our idols down, to give you back the worship that you deserve and you alone. Jesus, thank you for this invitation today. And with all eyes closed and hands down, perhaps you are in this space today, whether in the room or online, and you've never accepted Jesus Christ. I'm here to say today that you cannot worship the true God unless you come to him through Jesus Christ, his son. And Jesus died for you. Perhaps you're saying, hey, Sean, today I'd like to receive Jesus to be my savior. Perhaps you've been worshiping something else. But you know that today that God is calling you because he chose you. If that is you in this place today on the count of three, you could raise a hand and look me in the eye and then you can stick your hand back down. If you're online, you could press that button, click that link, and then people will be able to be in com communication with you as well. You would like to accept Christ today. Count of three, one, two, three. Is there anybody in this room? Just want to make sure that we're good. Thank you, Lord. So, Father, I pray that as we walk into this brand new week, that we would cast our idols down, cast our substitutes down, and we would again return to the worship of you. You alone are worthy. You alone deserve our praise. So I give you thanks for that today. So be with us as we go. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, have a fantastic week. No substitutes. We will see you next week as we continue Relationship Overrule. We love you. Have a good week.